I should mention, I'm sure people were wondering, where the better half is. <laughs> she is home not feeling well. She came with us, you know, moving from one part of the region of the country to this one. Uh, I call it the GAC. <laughs> you know, she's full of congestion. She's lost her voice, you know, uh, and so on. So just keep Elizabeth lifted in prayer. I mean, she feels good, her strength. It's just she can't talk and hardly breathe. So keep her in your prayer, and uh, I know she would truly appreciate it. And, uh, and if you know my daughters, uh, I can't maintain but one of them at a time. <laughs> so, but they're home watching online. Love you girls, and I'll see you soon. After I come home, after getting ice cream for myself. <laughs> All right. So I know that Rachel will love hearing that. So. All right. Well, this morning, uh, I want to take some time to look at this week and, uh, and possibly next week, unless the Lord has other plans, to look at some uh, key revivals that have happened around the world and then how they have affected us in this country as well. Um, so that's my plan, uh, and hopefully the Lord will allow me to keep it next week as well. This morning's reading comes out of the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 14. And the word of God says this. Well, oh, my scripture left there. Is it still up there? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. I'm just going to leave that up there for a moment, that piece of scripture, because it's a very interesting piece of scripture. I think for most people, we've heard it. But the question is, do we know who said that scripture? And I, you know, and honestly, uh, as much as I have preached and much as I have taught, I've really never even thought much about this scripture um, other than on the face of it, that scripture itself from verse 14 of chapter 7 of Second Chronicles. Because this person I would have never considered to be much of a man of prayer. He was a king. It was King Solomon who prayed this prayer. And this was his heart. And what was going on, they were getting ready to dedicate the temple of God. And a lot of people say that the love of God is unconditional. Have you heard that term? The unconditional love of God. It's been a phrase that's been thrown around for, for probably decades. But if you really search the scriptures, you really look at the scriptures, almost every chapter of the Bible, just about, you hear that God's very conditional. Unless you do this, then I will do this. But if you don't do this, I won't be there to do it with you. I mean, it's very conditional. And that's what we see even taking place here in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Listen to what it says in verse 1 with King Solomon. And this, is, this, again, I was kind of taken back to realize he was a king, but he must have been a man of prayer. Because this is what it says. When Solomon had finished praying, the fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple because the glory of the Lord had filled it. So even the priest, once the Lord was there, if the priest would try to enter, 
they would actually probably be consumed or if not killed. So they knew not to enter the temple of the Lord when he, his spirit, had filled the temple. The priest could not enter. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down, the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, and His love endures forever. And then we come to this passage in verse 14 that we opened with this morning. If my people... Again, there's the condition. If... If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, another condition, if you're not humble, humble yourselves, next condition, and pray. Seek my face, another condition, seek him. And turn. He didn't say keep doing what you're doing, but turn from your wicked ways Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I think sometimes we forget, or again, or maybe we've been told wrongly for decades the love of God is unconditional. It's unconditional. We can kind of do whatever, and God's still going to love us. He's still going to participate with us. He'll rend the heavens open, and He will come forth. No, beloved. There's expectations that God has. And if he is to dwell with us in our humanity, we must meet his conditions first. Second Chronicles, they knew it. And I think the man that we're going to look at this morning, Evan Roberts, even knew it. In 1904... There was a young man named Evan Roberts. He was from a city over what we call Great Britain now, but it was in Wales. It was called the Welsh Revival. It was led by Evan Roberts. He wasn't like he was like me. He wasn't ordained yet. He was a ministry student. Now, unlike him, I'm, I'm allowed to uh, have a position in a pulpit. He was not allowed. But he was a young ministry student and began uh, feeling that there was an, an urgent message that was upon his heart, that God was getting ready to set out uh, a mighty move of revival on Wales. So young Evan Roberts began attending various, uh, what we call revival meetings, church meetings. Um, and as he was at this one meeting one evening, He was so moved by the Spirit as he went forward, he began to cry out, Bend me, O Lord, bend me. Now you might be saying, Now Rusty, last week you used that word bend, but it was negative. You said, you know, the reed and the rock and Simon Peter, you know, could be easily swayed and moved by his environment and be bent in the wrong way. That is true, I did say that. But I'm using it in the positive sense now. They... He understood, I think, Evan Roberts, the humanity of his heart. He examined himself, and he was wanting to be bent in the way of God so that God could move through him and use him in the way that God would desire. 
So Evan's cry of his heart was that he would be bent in the way of God. And this was his complete and total surrender to God's will. After that meeting, Evan Roberts soon returned home to his home church, and he was wanting to preach this message of revival. But the senior pastor was reluctant to let young Evan teach the service. But a compromise was made with the pastor and, and young Evan Roberts. And the pastor said, well, anyone who's, who'd be, who'd be willing to or desire to hear Evan preach, you can come to the church this evening uh, and Evan can have the floor. So 17 people met with Evan in this church sanctuary that evening. And most, the majority of the 17 were, were young teenagers and young adults. And by the end of the evening, Evan had spoke a four-point message. And the message was uh, so convincing that God would bring revival that these young people were on their knees and on their face crying out to God with Evan. And the four-point message was this. Confess all your known sin. They were called to be repentive people. Secondly, to deal with and get rid of any area, any doubtful area. They were called to be people of faith. And thirdly, to be people of obedience, ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly and at all times. And lastly, they were called to go out and confess Christ publicly, to uh, testify and make other disciples. Those young people stayed from that evening until two in the morning praying in asking God to move upon themselves and upon their nation. And out of that came one of the greatest moves in Western Christianity throughout Europe in their history. By the end of that week, 60 people were one to the Lord. Over the course of that next year and a half, the revival had swept over the nation of Wales, and over one million people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, I don't know about you folks uh, and, and what your traditions were here in this church, but revival will bring systematic change. What do I mean by that? I think when I was a young boy, we would have revival services, and they would be two weeks long. I can remember them, 10 days. And then those 10 days ended up going down to seven days, and those seven days became five, and now you're... Lucky if you hear of a church renewal service down to three. Or it's now it's just, I mean, just a weekend, a Saturday, and a Friday, Saturday, or a Saturday, Sunday. I think that maybe it's semantics, maybe it's not, that I think we've misused the word revival. I think we've had renewal meetings over the years because I think true revival will have cataclysmic and systematic change across the board, not just in your local body, in your local church, but I'm talking about in your community, your township, in your city, in your region. I mean, it will make systematic change. What do I mean by that? When Evan Roberts and the, and the Holy Spirit moved through him and this revival came unto Wales, these things started taking place. There was a range of bankruptcies that took place throughout Wales. What kind of bankruptcies? 
All the taverns and the places that sold alcohol were shut down. Why? People were getting saved under the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Therefore, now they're getting intoxicated on the Holy Spirit and enjoying Him. They didn't need the bottle anymore. At the local coal mines, we're starting to stop almost uh, hardly producing anymore. Why? Because the donkeys that were used to pull the carts and the wagons out of the mine couldn't understand the coal miners anymore. What do you mean? The coal miners have been so convicted had, under the Holy Spirit that they got saved, it cleaned up their language. The mules were used to being cursed at and cussed at by the coal miners. They had no longer understood what the coal miners were wanting from them. So the product was sitting in the mines. Systematic change. Hospitals were almost shut down completely. Why? Uh, mental illness was being cured by the Holy Spirit. People physically were being touched and healed instantly under the power and influence of God. So you don't really need a hospital much if the Lord, the Almighty Physician, shows up in your life, do you? Amen? The entire police force almost closed down for 18 months in Wales. Why? Again, people under the influence of God being convicted stopped stealing and hurting one another so the police didn't have nothing to do. Praise God. And the last thing I'll talk about is this, uh, for uh, systematic change. There was a court case that was recorded that was actually brought before the judge. And before the judge could even make a ruling, the man confessed to what he did and confessed of his sin. The judge leads him to the Lord, and they close the session by singing hymns. Wouldn't you be amazed to see that in your court system? After all this was going on, this revival eventually makes its way across the Atlantic into the United States. Again, this is the early 1900s. It swept through New York and New Jersey. And there used to be a daily column <clears throat> in the New York Times called Today's Converts. Could you imagine that? You know, in the Cleveland Press or whatever. Today's Converts. You know, praise God. You know, Dave Tuttle finally got saved. I mean, I mean you, had, you would see the list of names and you'd be boom, you know, wow. You would just be floored. Today's Converts, those being saved. Obviously, today's times are somewhat different, or are they? I mean, is our world anything like what it was in the 1900s? I mean, some want to say it's probably a more darker and a more sinister place now than what it was then. I think evil is evil, regardless of the times. I think we think it might feel that way because we're living in that now moment. The scripture says this in the book of Romans 5.20. I believe we're on the verge of God getting ready to break in to our world again. And I think we've seen a small piece of it with us, you know, uh, becoming a new denomination. We're starting to see that pendulum starting to swing the other way. And I think that's just a piece of it. But I think God wants to begin to ready 
his people, beloved. Scripture says this in Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds more. So I think when sin starts to hit a certain level, God says enough's enough, and then he's waiting. But here's the thing, he's waiting for people who will be available, be transformed into his likeness, to be willing to be used by him, to become that hinge of history like Evan Roberts, to open up that gate so he can flourish and move in. But until... We are willing, like this opening scripture this morning, to stop and pray and repent and confess. Only then will God heal our prayers, hear our prayers, and heal our land. So what about God has changed since the early 1900s to now? What part of Christ's power, his resurrection power, has diminished between now and then, between then and now. What part of the work of the Holy Spirit has changed, beloved? Nothing on him has changed. I believe though our church has church, when I say church, I'm talking about the corporate church, the overall church, has fallen on desperate times, not because of attendance, not because of lack of money or involvement even. I think we're in desperate times because we desperately need our hearts to be moved to a place where God can use us. We need to recognize that, beloved. Do a personal inventory. Are we all where we need to be? Beloved, if God could bring revival in the early 1900s or any other time for that matter, I believe God can do it here and now, even in our township, even in our state. So to look at these point by point of Second Chronicles, and we'll quickly go through them. Well, I was supposed to be working. What happened? Again, God is looking for people to revive. Again, if my people, the if here is the beginning. Again, I talk about the conditions that God is looking to meet us before he will act. I don't know why. My clicker. There we go. Well, let's move to the next one. We need to know that we're known by a new name. Whenever a person comes to Christ, beloved, we are a new creation. We're given the opportunity to live that transformed life. When we come to, came to Christ, we become associated with his name. We become a Christian. Our life can be no longer what it was in the past because we are displaying him to the world. Why does God desire for his people to humble themselves, beloved? The word humble means to be in complete and total submission, to live in that complete and total state of surrender. When we humble ourselves, we are literally saying to God, you are in control of my life. To be humble means to be brought low. 
Remember that simple prayer by Evan Roberts. Bend me, O Lord. Beloved, when we humble ourselves before God, we are allowing him to bend us to his will. So what happens when he bends us? In Psalms 25, 9, bending opens us to his guidance. In Proverbs 3, 34, bending allows us to know his grace. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, bending gives us a gentle heart. In Matthew 23, 12, bending leads us to true greatness in him. In 1 Peter 5, 5, bending gives us new spiritual garments. He will give us new clothes to clothe ourselves. And lastly, in Philippians 2, 8, bending gives way to his eternal glory and his promises. Beloved, once we allow God to bend us, we can never remain the same. One of the key principles of revival is the concerted effort in prayer. When we pray, we are bringing our lives to intersect with God. And in that moment that we meet God, something amazing happens. He begins to pour himself into our lives. This is why prayer is absolutely essential to experiencing revival. Beloved, prayer is the foundation of, grow, of that growing relationship with God. And without prayer, that relationship will never grow. Prayer needs to be a continuous aspect of the church. You'll see that in Acts 1.14. In Acts 2.42, prayer was the major part of the life of the church because it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings daily. And third, Acts 4.31, prayer was vital to seeing the divine display of power. Because it says after they finished praying in that upper room that day, that the place was shaken and the place was filled by the Holy Spirit and fire came down. And we called that Pentecost. Prayer was vital. Love it. And that was what you call the that's probably the first revival, actually, right there. Revival is nothing more than God stepping in to relationship with you and I, filling us with his presence, his power, and his glory. And beloved, if we are not developing that relationship with God, then the sad truth is this: we will never experience true revival. I think the sad truth is this, beloved. One of the major reasons why I believe many churches never experience revival is that we don't actually want it bad enough. We don't cry out for it. And this just isn't us. I mean, this happens all over the place. I think we, we become used to our surroundings. And then we just settle. Beloved, we can't be people who settle anymore. We really want to see our nation turn to God. We need to begin to gather together and pray and seek his face. In 1904, the young people from Evan Roberts' home church wanted to see that revival so badly. Again, they stayed with him till 2 a.m. And beloved, and, and I don't want to sound like my Lebanese father-in-law and drop a big, huge guilt bomb. 
because he's great. He had, to meet, he had to meet my father-in-law sometime. He's a little Lebanese guy. And, uh, and he'd be like, oh, you're breaking my heart. You know, he's that kind of guy. He just makes me laugh. But again, I don't want to drop a guilt bomb on you. But I can remember being in the Philippines, preaching in the jungles. And all of a sudden, the church would be filled. I'm like, oh, this is so great. You know, they you know, came from their little huts. Come to find out, they were walking four miles on foot through coral snake-ridden jungles. Coral snakes are highly poisonous and venomous and can kill you. And, and these Filipinos would walk in to hear the gospel preached. And sometimes we have a hard time coming 5, 10, 15, 20-minute drive to sit for an hour. And these people would walk four hours one, day, one, one way, have church all afternoon, and then trek back where they came from there four hours. Beloved, do we desire God is the question. Do we truly desire God? We, again, personal inventory. We need to check our hearts. God said these words to Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then, this goes for me. Am I truly desiring and seeking God with all my heart? And the truth is, I need to get on my face, beloved, and repent. Because some there's days that I don't sometimes think I, I need him as much as I do. And I have to examine my own heart. Why does God, can we get it? Here we go. Can you get me to the next one? Why does God desire confession? Confession is a realization of wrongdoing. Beloved, many of us have had children in this room. And you know when they do wrongdoing, you have to punish them or bring discipline in some way. And simply all confession is, is it's, it's acknowledging to God what he already knows about you anyway. And that's what we do with our children. Do you know why what you've done is wrong? And that's what we do with our daughters, and then explain it to me. We want to see if they know. And boy, I found out that Rachel knows a lot. <laughs> Again, confession is merely telling God what he already knows, but he, it's good for us to confess it unto him. Confession renews our relationship with God. God cannot work through sinful living. It's absolutely impossible. But what confession does is it clears the path and allows God to move into our lives. And thirdly, confession seeks God's assistance. When we confess our sin to God, it's allowing Him to take the chains that bind us off, to cast off that restraint, and to set us free. Oh, beloved, you'll be happy. I've turned to the last page. What was it that made the Welsh revival, beloved, so powerful and so successful for the kingdom of Christ? It had nothing to do with Evan Roberts, technically. It had nothing to do with his eloquence of speech, his ability to deliver powerful sermons. It had nothing to do... Uh, with the length or the frequency of his prayers, but other than that, he just prayed. 
But it was the prayer that he prayed that was important. He prayed, bend me, O God. And I would just allow that to be our prayer this day. And throughout this week, as you're traveling around, such a simple prayer, as you're in the grocery store and you're just quietly in your own mind, say, God, bend me in your way. Did I see the transformational work in my life so that I could be used to hopefully be an inspiration for somebody else? Because, beloved, if we truly want to see God move in our midst, in our township, in our city, in our governments, in our nation, we need a mighty move of God. But God needs us to repent, to clear the way for him so that he can move through us into our world. If you please pray with me. Our Father and God, we humbly come, Lord, before you now. Lord, we are a people who need you. And Lord, hear our prayer this day. Bend us, O oh Lord. Lord, we, we confess, Lord, that we probably haven't been people, Lord, who've been completely receptive of you. We haven't always made time for you. Father God, that we need more of you in our lives. Father, we, we all have things, Father God, that, that are contrary to who you are. And Father, we would just pray right now, Lord, whatever that, those issues may be, Father, we could lay them before your throne this day. Lord, that we could clear the path, Father God, that you may rend the heavens and move forward into our lives through us, that we could see systematic revival take place in our towns, in our churches, in our nation. Let this be our prayer, O oh Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.